Hey guys, what's up? Week 261. Let you guys know that the contest for Robotrix is still going on. All you have to do to enter is send uh, an email to davidparker1986 at live.com and in the, the headline put contest or Robotrix, whichever you'd like. Um, I will put one entry in for an email. If you want five, leave an iTunes or Apple review, screenshot it, put it in that email. You'll get five entries in there. I'm going to add all my uh, patrons and everything like that. Remind you, I will ship um, international or out of country, out of the United States, but the shipping costs go to you. If anything happens, it's on you. I'm not dealing with the, the like, if it gets lost or it doesn't make it, yada, yada, yada. That's your chance you're taking, okay? So, uh, because I've had some trouble with that and everything like that with COVID protocol stuff getting sent back and all that stuff. But yeah, anyways, uh, Robotrix is a, is a crazy Cat 3 title from Hong Kong from 1991. Uh, yeah, just really sleazy and wild and just a lot of fun in the craziest kind of way. This is the Special Collector's Edition, which I, I don't know if it's still in print. It still might be. But uh, yeah, it's a nice release. So let's hop into the reviews. And the first one up is from 88 Films, um, and it is Human Lanterns from 1982. Now, this is kind of one of the Shaw Brothers flicks that dipped in the kind of the horror kind of realm, which there's not too many of those. There is a handful, though, like Enchanting Ghost from 1970 and, of course, Seeding the Ghost and, and Killer Snakes. And, and, like I said, a handful of them. The Shaw Brothers were so prolific. They did so many movies. I'm sure there's tons that I, I don't know about that kind of fall into that horror genre as well. The Human Lanterns, um, it definitely is like kind of your typical Shaw Brothers kind of film where we have this rivalry between two kind of distinguished gentlemen that have a lot of respect, and they just do not like each other at all. It kind of has like a over kind of like a, um, what is it, like some, some girl at first they're kind of fighting over in, in a lot of ways, but they also have like this competition where they have these lanterns that they put, these Chinese lanterns, and, and who has the best one, and yada, yada, yada. So one of these guys kind of finds out that uh, these this guy he has make his lanterns, actually gets them from this strange fellow, this kind of secret person. He kind of bribes him to go find out um, who's making these uh, these lanterns. And it's some strange fellow that he had kind of a, a problem with years ago, and he kind of hires him on the download to make these lanterns. But this guy has revenge on his mind. He's kind of strange. Um, and quick enough, uh, we start having all these murders and people disappearing and stuff like that. And you see the titles called Human Lanterns. Those lanterns aren't necessarily going to be made out of the typical kind of uh, you know materials. So that's kind of what's going on here. But uh, these two gentlemen are at each other's throats, blaming each other for all the crazy things that are happening and stuff like that. So it's a lot of fun in that aspect. We have these crazy kung fu battles like we typically have, you know, jumping on the roof and all this kind of really fantastical fight stuff, which is really cool. But then we also have this angle where we have this mad killer going around and he wears this awesome mask like this kind of I don't even know how to put the mask it's just really bizarre and strange it's just it's the definition of mentally unhinged here it is right here and he has this weird movement about him how he's just very frantic um, and his attacks are, are wonderful they're weird his fighting style is great um, and some of the deaths in here are brutal uh, because the the killer has like this layer where he's making these lanterns and at one point he's just cutting off 
off the skin of someone. And the final set piece in this movie is brilliant. It's underground, and it's just a really awesomely well done set set uh, piece, and all the set design is perfect, and all that kind of stuff. So yeah, this movie actually is a, is a lot of fun. I, I really enjoyed it, and it's different for a Shaw Brothers movies, but it has the same flavor like the Kung Fu fights and all that stuff that you really have grown to appreciate and enjoy if you like these kind of movies. But um, the stuff that I, I really like is the horror angle to it, which kind of surprised me. And the killer is super cool, super different. I've never seen anyone quite like him. Um, and there's this great attack where he attacks a, a group of people in the woods and all this kind of stuff like that. But obviously there's this betrayals and backstabbing between these two gentlemen and everything like that. Anyways, really cool movie and Human, Lan- Human Lanterns from 1982. And this has a bunch of features on it. Um, it has, um, of course, we have audio commentary by Kenneth uh, Brossom and Philip Guinean of the podcast of Fire Network, a Shaw story interview with Susan Shaw, The Beauty and the Beast, an interview with Linda Chu, and Lang, uh, Lang Wing, uh, Lei Wing, the ambitious uh, hero. And then we also have reversible uh, sleeve and all that kind of stuff here. So yeah, it's awesome cover art. And uh, it's a little bit more explicit right there, but you guys get the point. It is cartoon. Hopefully it won't get flagged or anything like that. But I really enjoyed Human Lanterns. It looks great and sounds great. And like I said, it's a good-looking movie. It has a lot of cool set pieces and some crazy gore. Not as extremely graphic as one might expect, but uh, the back definitely says it has your kind of your style of... Um, this kind of like typical thing going on, but it also brings in like the, the American slasher film and early hammer horrors. It definitely feels like all that kind of stuff mixed in and it works really well. It's the human lanterns. Okay. The next one was a super interesting movie also from 88 films. This is uh, another Shaw brothers film, but made in like the nineties, I believe 1997. So I didn't even know Shaw's were still making that many movies like this. This is called hero. And this is kind of like a remake of it's It's a remake of boxer Shang Tuong, which is in the first Shaw brothers box set from arrow films. Excellent movie. Really cool movie movie kind of about kind of about kind of a young kind of tough kid that moves into this big city and he wants to make a name for himself and he's infatuated or or somewhat uh looks up to this this gangster and um him and this gangster form a a kind of a a friendship somewhat and he wants to kind of be on his level and he does everything kind of rise to power kind of deal but you know like has all these uh, trials and tributes and all this kind of stuff and and so this one it's it's not as a period piece as the other one but it still takes place during uh, not quite as old as the original boxer from Shang Tuang period piece, but it kind of updates it a little bit, but not too much. So, but it, it takes place in a world with with guns and stuff like this. So instead of having a lot more like hand to hand combat, which they have that in here, there's a lot of gunplay involved in here. And uh, yeah, so this one is uh, at first it was kind of strange seeing the same story told again, but it's kind of a weird kind of different way. And they do change some things around, which kind of surprised me in a lot of ways. But uh, essentially what we have here is two brothers move into this town, this village, this big city from a small village, smaller village. And um, they kind of the the one brother has like these ambitious eyes and he works his way up until he becomes like this gang leader. And uh, he has obviously, you know, some uh, some foes against him, another mob boss and all this kind of stuff. And and this one, they 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 kind of switch it around like it's the four heaven. It's the one guy and then he has like the four heavenly brothers. And it gets I guess I would say a little bit more epic in, in a certain way, because like the betrayals and stuff are more like oriented in the crime world. It feels more like a mobster film, if that makes any sense. But uh, the action is 
just as good in a different kind of way. Like the gunplay at the end of this movie, the set piece at the end of this film is probably one of the craziest, most rewarding, entertaining things I've seen in years. Um, and I just don't want to spoil everything here, but it is a great surprise. It's a hell yeah moment. Um, but yeah, and essentially, um, like it's just a, it's just an excellent movie with great, uh, it's, it's also a love story, kind of like the first one. And, uh, it has this comedic elements as well, which I feel like every Hong Kong movie adds in. I've never seen one that doesn't have any kind of humor whatsoever. Like I said, almost all of them have that kind of layer of humor, but this is just a perfect updated version of that movie. If that makes any sense. Like I couldn't believe the action. Um, and all the acting is perfect. Like the two, two kind of heroic leads, I guess you'll say is as much as they are criminals. I feel like they are actually really, um, like well established and, and well-rounded characters and everything like that. And it has like an epic kind of like an epic feel like it's so many different it feels like it goes over like their whole lives perfectly and it doesn't it's paced really well like I, I never was like oh this thing's way too long or this thing has too much downtime in fact it is shorter than the original version it's 92 minutes I believe the other one's closer to two hours and now I will admit that I think that the uh I don't want to spoil like the, the tone or anything like that because even if I tell you the tone in comparison between these movies it will spoil some stuff but anyways I'll leave it at this movie's got a great fight scene at the end a great shoot at at the end um and uh it, it's just it's violent there's, there's great squibs there's good characters there's good bad guys it has everything you could want it's just an epic entertaining movie with great action set pieces good comedy good characters good drama all that kind of stuff really like this one really entertaining stuff uh well done and uh yeah so like the one thing though is like some of the Obviously, when you have like uh, English actors on there and they're like dubbed, it comes across a little cheesy. But um, I, I watch this one in its actual native language. Sometimes I will watch the Shaw Brothers stuff dubbed, but the later we get, uh, like closer to the 2000s and stuff, the dubbing I feel like gets worse and worse in foreign films, if that makes any sense. And it just becomes more noticeable. It's not like the old Euro uh, horror films or, or um, some of the old Shaw Brothers movies, which I know like it's not perfect in those movies, but it's kind of like has a certain, I have a certain affinity for that kind of dubbing so i'm all in and this one is just not really there so i prefer i prefer these newer films to watch in their native languages so um the special features we have um audio commentary with asian cinema experts mike leader and army vimoda i always say his name wrong um those guys do a lot of different um commentaries they're pretty much experts in this genre like i said they did the black cat commentary and all that kind of stuff for 88 films but there's also some uh alternate shots from the tiny we tiny Taiwanese version um, that was a tongue twister for me there which is just a couple little different bits of dialogue here and there but anyways uh, if you like the boxer of Shang Tuong or you like like kind of action gunplay movies this one is a must see like I said I was very impressed with that kind of stuff and it was just I, I couldn't believe it went to like the levels that it did anyways it was very entertaining highly recommended too Okay, the next one is from Arrow Video, and this is actually a Golden Harvest film, and this is One-Armed Boxer, starring Jimmy Wang Yu from Chinese Boxer, and this is like one of the first martial arts guys. Some people consider him the first. Um... Yeah, and anyways, uh, this movie I had not actually seen, and uh, Golden Harvest kind of came along. I don't want to say when they originally came, but you know, a lot of the people from Shaw Brothers went into Golden Harvest later on down the line, and Jimmy Wang Yu was one of them. So uh, this movie does share a lot of similarities between some of the other martial arts movies I have seen, where kind of like you have like the imports of different characters from other countries and different styles of martial arts competing against you know Chinese kung fu or stuff like that. That's definitely a theme here, and the overall plot is very similar. 
similar to a lot of the ones that I have seen. Just kind of basically, we have um, two different kind of masters that have completely different approaches to things. One is more good natured. Jimmy Wang Yu is kind of the best pupil at that school. And then we have kind of an asshole uh, guy who's a criminal. He has a criminal element and he has like a couple henchmen that work for him. Kind of students, but they're really kind of shitty. They start a fight with Jimmy Wang Yu. They lie to their, uh, their basically their, their master. And this starts a big feud between the, the two different kind of groups of people. And uh, the other guy can't, basically um, he goes there and he fights Jimmy Wang Yu's master and he gets destroyed by him in a fight. Um, and he just can't let it sit like that. He has too much pride. So he basically pays out all these kind of different styles of fighters to come in and take out this school. And then after they do that, they're going to kind of carry on this drug ring and make a bunch of money and all that kind of stuff. So creates like this big organization of all these crazy expert fighters and everything like that. And it's got that wonderful kind of deal when they introduce the fighters. They all basically like they don't give their names like down there like they do in some of the Shaw Brothers movies. Like bah, 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 bah. But I, they might actually. But they, they basically say their names and their styles and everything like that so he calls in like 10 expert fighters some from japan of course and and the japanese guy he has like three or four guys that are following him and he basically has fucking vampire fags and he's evil as shit he's kind of like the badass ringleader and everything of a lot of these guys so they have like him a couple of his students then we also have a taekwondo guy then we have like a judo guy and then we have these two um kind of uh india guy uh buddhist monks that are really kind of have straight powers and everything like that we have an indian guy um who is actually an a uh, a chinese guy in in like blackface it would appear which is kind of strange then we have two thai uh thai fighters which is awesome so basically we have this big group of villains and they're like being upset at this dojo they just go in there one day and they wreck everybody they rip off arms they beat the shit out of them and you guys could know from the title one arm boxer that jimmy wang is going to take a serious injury like a lot of western films or any martial arts films or samurai films somebody gets really messed up and they have to bring themselves up train 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 learn a new way to fight learn a new style and get revenge on the baddies that's kind of what happens here to you know kind of revenge for like all your other fellow pupil pupils and all this kind of stuff and so uh yeah that's basically the movie it's nothing too complicated it's very formulaic that we've seen before in these movies but what really makes it is the badass fight scenes and the badass villains and their demise like literally like he goes and headhunts all these guys and it ends in this giant battle at the very end when he faces off against a bunch of them um the bad guys are really uh, like i said memorable like i remembered all of them and the fight scenes are great too like there's these moments where all these bad guys will enter like schools and just beat the crap out of everybody this movie's really violent in a lot of ways and uh anyways i just thought it was a fucking blast to be honest it's a super entertaining movie just as good as any of the other shaw brother movies i've talked about earlier as far as the special features are concerned we have commentary by frank jinn um, from the New York Asian Film Festival, career retrospective interview with uh, Jimmy Wang Yu, uh, filmed in the tease in 2001 and never before released. Um, that is awesome because this actor just recently passed away. He's in a slew of movies. Um, a couple I've covered. He's in the Brian Treacher Smith movie, uh, which he's banned from Hong Kong. Um, if I'm not mistaken, a Chinese boxer. And he kind of talks about you know getting his start and being an inspiration to Jackie Chan and all this kind of stuff. And it's really interesting. He talks about you know working um, before like there was 
any stuntman and messing himself up terribly, showing like bent fingers and all that kind of stuff. So that was really a treat because I'd never seen an interview with the guy before. So, and then we also have a trailer gallery featuring original Hong Kong, the actual trailer, US spot, all that kind of stuff. And then, um, yeah, and, and, and half an hour trailers for other Wang Yu classics, including One Armed Swordsman and Master of the Flying Guillotine, which I think uh, one of them are, they might both be kind of loose sequels. I know Master of the Flying Guillotine 1 and 2 are very popular kind of Kung Fu flicks. Anyways, I thought this movie was really entertaining. Like I said, you get all the baddies on the cover. Um, there's this really great scene, a great fight scene in the in this like mill, and uh, somebody goes to punch, and their arm gets caught in the mill, and I was just like, holy shit! Like, that kind of stuff that just, uh, like, the, the bad guys are so weird, and their powers are so bizarre, that I just was like, this is a fucking weird-ass movie, and you can just see, like, kind of how it inspired a lot of things that would go down the line. But anyways, it's great stuff. one arm boxer. Really entertaining shit. Okay, this next one here is kind of a, I don't want to say Lost Slasher, because I don't think it really ever went anywhere, but uh, Underseen Slasher, because for a while it was so hard to see, so hard to get. Um, there was, a, um, a, of course, a VHS released as Girls Night Out and Scare Maker. I, I don't know if it was ever put out under that title, but that was his alternative name. And then there was a DVD from Guilty Pleasures, a.k.a. Media Blasters, years back. And uh, yeah, I had seen it, and I just did not remember everything about it. I remembered Hull Hallbreak. That's about all I remember from Girls Night Out. This is an Arrow release, of course, and uh, 82 Slasher, maybe 83. I believe it's 82, but I uh, got an extra slipcover there. Um, yeah, like I actually do dig the title, uh, Girls Night Out, for sure. It fits the plot. So essentially what we have here is... Um, there is a group of students that kind of do this weird scavenger hunt at this college and it goes all night and they get clues on the radio and they have to kind of find the stuff and they win prizes, yada, yada, yada. But um, at this point, basically, um, it kind of follows the girlfriends of like the, the basketball team and all that kind of stuff. And there's a lot of kind of like infighting and relationship shit going on, um, including uh, a character in uh, played by David Holbrook, Hall Holbrook's son, who's in here, which is nice. Hall Holbrook plays like kind of a security guard He's a great actor and stuff like Rituals and Creep Show, and he's the biggest name in the film. Um, there's a couple familiar faces too, like kind of like actresses that would go on to do some other things that I did recognize. But essentially, what happens is. Um, we have like the idea of a possible escape convict, which is a very kind of typical kind of trope in these movies. But uh, the killer in here um, takes out the mascot and decides to wear the mascot's outfit. And the mascot's outfit is a super memorable outfit. It is a bear, kind of like this cartoonish bear. And he ends up putting these razor sharp claws, kind of like a Freddy Krueger claw, in the bear kind of outfit. And he kind of starts mangling and killing all the girls while they're trying to find clues and everything like that. So this movie was... F- oh, I slipped there fairly decent at establishing their characters like there's a lot of time where the characters interact and I ended up finding myself enjoying a lot of the characters and liking a lot of them um to be honest like there's this scene where they have like this big like party and a bunch of people get in the picture and everything like that and it's a nice setup there's like a couple party scenes that you kind of get to know everybody and um like there's these small little quirky moments that that definitely pay off at the end and kind of establish characters and add the movie give the movie a little bit of charm. Like one of the characters is constantly talking about to like the lady that works in the cafeteria that's always being real friendly with them and all this kind of stuff. And there is some obvious exposition, obvious kind of shoehorn, maybe ADR lines that are in there that you're like, "Yeah, I did that so that the shit would make sense later on." All that kind of stuff. But to be honest, for the most part, this movie came across super charming for me. Like I didn't remember it all that well. I remembered it being okay but uh as i was watching i was like you know what i'm really enjoying this i'm really enjoying how Hallbrick. i'm enjoying the kind of setup and i didn't know who the killer was and when they revealed the killer there was some kind of twist and everything like that i was like that is awesome i really like that idea it's kind of like sometimes people 
would suggest that they wish they would have put something in Friday the 13th that made, you know, Mrs. Voorhees' character make a little bit more sense why she was there. And I completely agree with that. And I love Friday the 13th. Um, that one's one that I, I always liked. But as I get older and see it more, I enjoy it more. Um, and this one kind of does it kind of, I guess it took like the hint on that and it added that element in there, but, uh, yeah, girls night out. It's, it's, it looks really good too. It sounds good. And there's so many needle drops in here. If you like love and spoonful, um, you'll like this movie. I'll tell you that, but it's them. And there's like another band they play nonstop throughout the movie. Like, uh, do you believe in magic plays like 45 times, but there's a lot of features on here and I watched pretty much all of them. So there's a brand new audio commentary, genre film critic, Justin Kurzweil and film historian, Amanda Reyes, who's like a TV expert, if I'm not mistaking staying alive a brand new video interview with actress julie montgomery who would go on to be in revenge of the nerds of course another classic i liked seeing her interview and everything she's very candid all these people on the interviews are very straightforward very candid and seem very intelligent about the whole thing a savage mauling a brand new video interview with laura summer another actress in the film alone in the dark a brand new video interview with actress louise robbins um and it was a party a brand new interview with actor paul christie and then Love and Death, a brand new interview with actors Lauren, Mike, uh, Mary Taylor, and John Dickerson. And I believe they met on this set and they're still together. I watched all of them um, back to back. So it's kind of, they kind of bleed together, if that makes any sense. But like, you get kind of like the gist of it that they all had a fairly good time and uh, like rewatching the movie and everything like that. And with like other people, they kind of like, yeah, well, um, I, I feel like they know exactly what it is and they appreciate it to the extent that they should, if that makes any sense. And uh, yeah, it's kind of like a walk down memory lane for a lot lot of them and uh you know like a lot of these times you watch the interviews and the people just don't seem to give a shit or they just don't remember much but i don't think that was the case here i think that they all kind of like had the good input on there and stuff like that and julie montgomery seemed like so down to earth and so friendly and just like how she like you know sees these movies as what they are now and and with the fans and everything like that so anyways i would really recommend checking out girls night out if you're a slasher enthusiast or a slasher completist this is an absolute must if you're kind of semi-interested i i think maybe you kind of like maybe see it rent it or watch it on the video streaming services or something like that i enjoyed it um i like slashers but i wouldn't say it's my favorite subgenre. but this one i don't know why like it's funny sometimes i'll rewatch a slasher that i hadn't seen in years and i'll be like that didn't hold up very well and then i watch girls night out which isn't considered top tier and i'm like that one held up for some reason i don't know why it has like a good charm about it maybe even a regional charm if that makes any sense and i like the twist i like the characters for the most part uh yeah that is girls night out okay the next one is a doozy and this is wild things the 4k from arrow video starring uh denise richards nev campbell kevin bacon matt dillon bill murray Teresa russell robert wagner so a great freaking cast directed by john mcnaughton who um is kind of an underrated director i've seen four john mcnaughton films and uh i've never been disappointed of course he did the um the infamous henry portrait of a serial killer um the borrower which is a fun 1991 horror sci-fi flick he also did bad dog and glory with bill murray and robert de niro and with thurman which is a really kind of cool crime comedy kind of deal drama always enjoyable uh he's from chicago so it's kind of weird that he's doing almost kind of like a a, a neo-noir florida flick if that makes any sense with a, a good amount of dark comedy so what we have here is matt dillon uh there's two there's two versions on here you have the theatrical and then you have the unrated which is uh, i think about eight or nine minutes longer so matt dillon is like a college counselor uh, uh, guidance counselor at kind of like this really expensive nice kind of college area and denise richards is like the daughter of Teresa russell who is very rich very important very influential and um single mother too so essentially one day denise richards kind of um 
uh, accuses Matt Dillon of raping her. Um, we don't see a lot of stuff like that. It's kind of left off screen, but she accuses her of raping her. Neff Campbell is another student who comes out against him. And uh, so we have this like big court trial and everything like that. Robert Wagner is friends with Teresa Russell, who plays, you know, Denise Richards' uh, mother. Kevin Bacon is a cop who gets involved with the case, and he also has a partner. I can't think of her actor's name, but she's really good too. So, and Bill Murray is Matt Dillon's lawyer. So, like, the more I talk about this movie, the more I will spoil it. But that's kind of the setup, and there's tons of twists and turns. Nobody ever seems like who they are. So, at one point, you'll have it kind of figured out, and people are acting appropriately, and then like, there's a uh, twist or reveal and you never really know what everybody's out uh, to do and who's on whose side and all this kind of stuff but um, I, I really like how it unfolds and I like the reveals and during the end credits you get a little bit of punch of what exactly did happen and how it happened kind of like Clue in a way like well this is why but less comical than Clue but it does have these good nice dark elements of comedy like when we go to kind of Nev Campbell's caretakers we have like Ruby who like runs this gator farm and her son Walter who is played by this character actor who's in like Bad Boys he's in a handful of stuff you'd recognize him right away and he, he's just this strange character who like stole a pair of false teeth out of an abandoned trailer and he's putting them in his mouth because he's got no teeth and he's like he's a gator wrangler so it's like has this great Florida charm to it and like I don't know how to explain like the main theme or score of the movie really feels perfect like uh, kind of Lawarish thriller Florida it has like a lot of sounds going on and it's really like kind of memorable and it feel it, it like just gets stuck in your head and it just works perfect throughout the entire movie. Like I said, this movie's close to two hours and I thought it flowed really well. I thought the performances were really strong. Like Matt Dillon is definitely that kind of character that's perfect for this kind of role where he's kind of like handsome and ch- has charisma, but also at the same time he's kind of sleeping around with a lot of women and you could just be like that's the kind of guy you could see somebody accusing of rape and a lot of people going along with it and buying it and all this kind of stuff. And Bill Murray as his lawyer is perfect like Bill Murray is just like to me he's like one of those actors that every time he pops up and like uh, even a smaller role like or a medium sized role he's just like he seems like he's not necessarily that easy to control and it's a perfect amount of chaos and improv in Bill Murray and like you just see it and I love him always love watching Bill Murray one of the my one of my favorite people right to watch and stuff like that so um Denise Richards and Nev Campbell are really good in this too because they have to play these different layers and everything like that. <laughs> and like I said, like Nev Campbell's performance becomes better and better as the movie goes on when you figure out more and more. Denise Richards, I've always liked. I've never had like, you know what I mean? She's this and Starship Troopers back to back. And I always thought she was solid in both those movies and these this and Starship Troopers. And like I said, Kevin Bacon is a really good stable. He he's one of those actors that like has just like a certain like uh like presence about him. Like you never I never Never can fully trust Kevin Bacon in a movie if that doesn't make any sense. Like, and he has good range too. Kevin Bacon's got pretty solid range, and and uh, although he has that weird element of creepiness, like it's cast perfectly, right? Like everybody in this movie's cast wonderfully. Like from Teresa Russell being kind of like the the like the mother who's just like sleeping around with everybody, and like there's a scene where Robert Wagner and Bill Murray share a moment, and it's just a great moment where Bill Murray's obviously putting him in a in an uncomfortable situation where. Like, Robert Wagner's sophisticated, kind of rich guy, you know, he's used to eating at, like, fancy restaurants, and he's, like, forcing him to eat at this, like, back backwaters place with, like, uh, this, like, pork nachos or something like that, and he's like, man, don't mess your stomach up, and, like, it's just, like, Bill Murray literally pouring ice out of his cup in, uh, like, Robert, it's just a great scene, and you can tell that they had a lot of fun with it, but, uh, yeah, this one, 
I really like it does go for like kind of the explicit angle with like the steamy sex scenes and everything but it keeps you guessing I love it um like you know what I gave this three and a half on letterbox I should bump it up to four because I enjoyed it that much like the score was stuck in my head I just liked all the performances and like I think this would make a great double feature if you wanted to see kind of like a another Florida kind of thriller uh 92 in the shade and uh wild things together would make a nice little double feature but uh yeah it's just a really good movie um, really well acted, really good characters, really well cast, you know, I and it's surprisingly well cast. Like, you see the cast, you're like, that's a strange mixture of actors and everything like that from different times and everything, but they all come together really well. John McNaughton's a really good director, and, like, I listened to the commentary, and he was talking about how he wanted to open the movie kind of up in the very beginning with, like, an alligator kind of popping out of the swamp, kind of like these these cold reptilian characters, and that's, like, the aggressiveness in our human nature to be greedy and violent and sexual, and he's like, that's kind of, like, the main core of our brains similar to the alligator and other reptiles and stuff like that. So it's well thought out. It's a a good script. And uh, it's a big Hollywood movie for John McNaughton. And he does a really good job. As far as the special features are concerned... um there is a commentary, two audio commentaries. The first one, John McNaughton and producer Stephen A. Jones. And then we have an older commentary, I believe, with John McNaughton, cinematographer Jeffrey Kimball, and then producers uh, Stephen Jones and Rodney Liber, and the editor, Alina uh, Magnanini, and score composer George S. Clinton. So, yeah. And then we have an exclusive new interview with John McNaughton, um, which was really entertaining to see. Uh, yeah, he seems to like the movie. He talks about the scene with Kevin Bacon and the shower, if anybody's ever seen this movie. And the exclusive new interview with Denise Richards, who's seemed really awesome to be honest she she cracked me up to the point like her delivery her storytelling she seemed down to earth she seemed very you know just genuinely a good person with a, a with very sharp too a lot of times you see like you don't, never know exactly how intelligent or how much somebody remembers how somebody gives a shit like I, I always say this but she's genuinely seemed to remember quite a bit and she was sharp and funny and she tells a story about uh, something being in the background of the swamp that really shouldn't be there and uh, her delivery on that when she's like I don't know if this is gonna fucking make it in there like it just felt like so down to earth and so normal and I, I really like seeing that and, uh, so and then we also have I know there's some archival interviews as well there's a making of documentary an understanding lawyer outtakes that's very short with Bill Murray just kind of improving. you could tell um, being Bill Murray um, then we illustrated collector's booklet featuring new writings on the film by Ann Bilson and Sean Hogan and yeah and then we have a lot of other goodies within you will see anyways it looked great and sounded great uh, HDR um, and the musical the, the surround sound was excellent especially the score came through perfect um, yeah so like that was probably one of the strongest points of the movie was the actual main theme a very memorable kind of just like southern kind of deal I I thought it was great I thought it was a great mixture of kind of backwoods boonies and high class privilege and stuff mixed together in this kind of noirish setting and stuff like that good stuff check out uh, Wild Things good twist and everything like that way better than I remembered I hadn't seen it since it came out which I was like 13 or something like that probably should have watched Wild Things today HBO gotta love it but uh, anyways good stuff check it out Uh, the new 4K looks looks good and it's just a movie that like I don't know if people ever bring it up. I think everybody saw it, but it's just kind of not forgotten. But uh, should be talked about. I'm glad this edition's out. People talk about wild things a little bit more. Okay, the next one up is from the Claude Charbrow uh, collection. This is Twisting the Knife, and this is the second feature out of here, The Color of Lies, another one from the 90s. And, uh, yeah, this one, again, um, I think it's actually... Um, 
one of his uh, better films. And I, like I said, he doesn't really make bad films. I've been impressed with everything he's done. But uh, The Color of Lies um, follows the story of a semi-disabled uh, painter. He used to be a kind of a famous painter. Now he does like art classes on the side while his wife is like the main bread breadwinner of the family. And this is kind of like a small town. And one of his students is a young girl is brutally raped and murdered right outside his home. So like uh, the police officer, the new kind of like a head investigator is kind of focused on him and everything like that, which adds adds pressure to him. While his wife um, is kind of feeling distant from him because, you know, he, he's just he's not really he's obviously depressed because the injury and his painting and all this kind of stuff like that. Not even the injuries, more so the painting and things that have happened to him and stuff. So he's kind of out of it. So there's a there's a famous kind of journey journalist that lives in the town too and he's just kind of seedy and sleazy and kind of like a charmer and he like sleeps around a lot you get that impression and he kind of starts to focus in on his wife so this kind of complicates things with a lot of like uh you know you and you don't really know they don't actually show the rape and murder of the young girl so you never really know who it is so you kind of are always wondering who's the possible suspect and you have your eyes focused on all these different people and everything like that and at the same time we have a lot of these small town characters that we run into friends of his and these weird kind of characters gossips and all this kind of stuff and like there is kind of a, a light-hearted or comedic element with the the police investigator i like how she kind of acts and talks to people and like the way she sus- suspects people um lead performance by the two like i guess there's three kind of main characters well four including the inspector are all tremendous uh, especially the painter and his wife i feel like their delivery and their interactions are wonderful the location's great it's on this kind of like um i would say like lake property kind of deal so like we have like these kind of like richer people or people that are more well off and everything like that you know they have like that they almost like live at this nice vacation home is kind of like what you feel like they are at so uh like we have a lot of this kind of like uh this thing going on like this love triangle kind of starting to develop and and all these kind of like uh under under like line hate towards each other and stuff and and like i said it's this is really tremendous performances by these three people and caught up in it um and like soon enough like somebody else ends up murdered and like again you have these questions how did it happen because they never really show like the big moments of the film you never really see them and they all come to kind of fruition and like it is kind of surprising like and at the very last minute of this movie movie you were still guessing and you're still wondering exactly what happened but um that, that's a, it's a very much a compliment for this movie but yeah um the color of lies like i said it's well made it's well shot and this he's just so solid like and like his movies feel timeless like yes like even they're made in the 70s or they're made in the 90s they all felt similar to me and the best kind of way if that makes any sense like they don't really date themselves in a negative way if that makes any sense to anybody i feel like they can be a timeless story so as far as features we have a brand new audio commentary by critic Barry Forshaw and Sean Hogan. Nothing is Sacred, a brand new visual essay by film critic Scott uh, Tefoyona in examining the ideas of art and legacy in Charbrough's The Color of Lies. What's Eating Claude Charbrough, a brand new appreciation by film critic David uh, Collette examining the ways in which Charbrough's films relate, reflect, and re- refract each other. Behind the scenes featurette, archival introduction by film scholar Joel Magny, select scene commentaries by director Shaw. Shawbrow. Yeah, so anyways, another great uh, uh, film by this director who's becoming like just a, one of the most solid directors I've kind of ever, you know, like, I don't want to compare them, but uh, like he's kind of like the Sergio Martino of like less horror-oriented stuff. I mean, he's more broad and I could do, I don't want to say he could do more, but he's more uh, I don't want to say pretentious, more, I guess, respected than somebody like Martino and by the mainstream world, if that makes any sense. But like, like I say, Martino never, like, none of his films are ever like crap. They're always solid to good. 
very good. And I feel like this guy is in the same boat. Like all his movies are, are good and interesting. And like they do have like these elements of like cheating or non-trustworthy or or people being deceitful. That's why hell his box sets are called Lies of Deceit and Twisting the Knife. <laughs> exactly. But uh, yeah, next week I'll dive into the third film, uh, Nightcap. So uh, yeah, anyways, enjoying these as well. Um, great stuff from Arrow Films. Okay, the next one up, I decided to finally watch Richard Stanley's Dust Devil. Now I don't have the import Blu-ray. I did watch it online. I did watch the uh, the um, final cut, which is nearly two hours long. This is the old subversive DVD, which is long out of print. That's why it's still sealed. I know, right? Um, and this this bad boy's got the work print. It's got the um, the final cut of Dust Devil and all that kind of stuff on here. See, so Dust Devil was made in what ninety two ninety three by Richard Stanley, who directed, of course, Hardware and Color Out of Space. And uh, Miramax was the kind of people behind it. So he originally wanted to make the original cut was like two hours long. He delivered it. They cut it up and then um to like an hour and 27 minutes and then we had another release uh later on the final cut which is i think nearly two hours long so dust devil is a very strange movie it has some familiar faces in here the lead male in here is actually i recognized him right away was it john robert john burke i remembered him from uh he's one of the glory brothers in tombstone uh uh he's like i got you you son of a bitch if anybody's ever seen tombstone he's one of the cowboys right um he's in the okay corral shootout but also chelsea fields in here from Master of the Universe and Death Spa and a handful of other films and William Hootkins who um, was also in Hardware, Batman, Star Wars he's great in here. Um, this movie takes place in South Africa and it opens up with some wild narration, some beautiful kind of desert scenery and it says something about this like demon of the wind and sets up this rich mythology which Richard Stanley obviously loves all this kind of stuff and I imagine that all this stuff is based on stuff that he studied and looked into this kind of his MO. Um very strange fellow interested in a lot of these strange kind of myths and stuff like that. So essentially what we have is this kind of character that appears to be some sort of like ancient serial killer that goes over time and kind of like kills women and everything like that. And he's just very bizarre. And he ends up hyper-focused on Chelsea Field, who's running away from her husband um, and, and whatnot. And we also follow this character of this police detective who's in a handful of movies. You recognize him right away. He's in stuff like Serpent and the Rainbow where he plays the baddie. He's in a lot of films. So we follow this police detective, we follow the dust devil, we follow Chelsea Field. And that's kind of the, the kind of story of the movie. So like, uh, and, and along the way he commits some murders and we have a lot of weird visuals and, and a detective storyline. And, uh, probably at the end of this movie, I'm sure everybody's seen that kind of gif from this movie of an infamous kind of a gore scene, which has got to be one of the best of its kind, to be honest. But this movie has a lot of strange nightmare, like kind of imagery and just well done kind of storytelling, but it is a little long. I will admit that, uh, close to two hours, but like, I said it's a movie that I would like to watch a couple more times and kind of get familiarized with because I could see myself really enjoying this one. I know that there was a German Blu-ray, and if there's a chance I could import it, I would most likely definitely do that. But it's iffy on those German imports. They kind of have these deluxe editions, and they go out of print. And then sometimes they do standard editions. I'm not 100% sure where it stands right now, if I could get it or not. But uh, like I said, I'm a little bit more brief on this one. But I did find myself really enjoying it and really enjoying the setting. It's a beautiful-looking movie because, you know, it takes place in a vast desert and there's lots of kind of crazy imagery and stuff like that and uh william hookins really impressed me with his kind of accent and i love his relationship with uh the detective because he's the chief and like their their interactions are really some of my favorite stuff in here and just they're talking back and forth and discovering about this case and everything like that so 
I like that. Um, and like the husband of Chelsea Field is such a fucking idiot. I guess that goes without saying if she's running away from him. But yeah. Uh, anyways, Dust Devil, good stuff. Uh, first time watch, surprisingly. It's, it's definitely was a blind spot and I should have seen it years ago. And I've been meaning to watch it for years. Because I've always liked hardware quite a bit. And it does have a lot of similarities to hardware and visual kind of visual stuff like that. But I love hardware. And Colorado Space I really enjoyed and stuff like that. So yeah, anyways, Dust Devil, not as good, I don't think, as hardware. But uh, I could enjoy it a little bit more if i watched it again i just hardware is a movie that i've seen like a handful of times so i have that affinity for it but anyways yeah uh, dust devil very strange very different uh very unique just a kind of all-out movie the one negative i will say is that i think the lead baddie um i don't think his performance is bad it's just a strange one where i, I feel like um a different actor could have brought a different weight to it if that makes any sense like um like if, if it would have been somebody else like i just don't I feel like his performance is lacking something for me. And that just could be me just not reading it like I should. But yeah, that's Dust Devil. Okay, well, let's roll those 1994 movies. Prison officials say Dahmer's head may have been bashed against a wall. They have last-minute appeals failed to stop the execution of America's most notorious mass murderer, John Wayne Gacy. Throughout, Chikatilo presented himself as a wretched victim of nature's indifference. Say the proof. The delusion of a disordered mind, a phantom, a spirit, a ghost. Look, he hasn't got any relatives, and the coma he's in is irreversible. Give me a signature and I'll pull the plug now. Fuck off. Okay, so these shorts are probably going to be these these shorts I forgot to cover last week. I actually watched them last week. I forgot to talk about them. They're going to be very brief. Probably shorter than the frickin' intro I just, that, for the 94. But first one up is Jacaranda Joe, which was a lost Georgia Bear movie. I've seen that. Uh, it leaked online after it screened privately, and I, I shouldn't have, but I had to see it. I had George Romero, and I will buy it if it ever comes out, or if it's streaming somewhere, I will rent it just to make up for it. But sometimes there's just no way to see lost movies and stuff like that. Jack Around the Joe is about a 15-minute short. I believe it was filmed in Florida, kind of follows the storyline, and it's more like a found footage. It's less horror, as people say it is, but it has this found footage kind of element in 94. Um, before a lot of things, obviously, I doubt anybody really saw this freaking thing. So essentially, it kind of takes place on this like Murray, uh, Murray, Murray kind of style talk show or something like that where they're basically talking about this kind of uh the sasquatch or grass man kind of legend 
and they're talking about it and they have all the people that were supposedly there and they're interviewing people uh, that believe in the grass man that don't believe in the grass man or Sasquatch and then kind of the very end of the movie is we see the footage and everything like that and we kind of leave at that note where they're supposed to show us more footage but it's just a kind of a glimpse kind of a look into it and it was a nice little interesting thing to see by George Romero it kind of goes to like his roots of you know making you know commercial films and stuff like that but at the same time news and all that kind of stuff it fit really well you could tell it was from the world of George Romero but different for him too and another idea that he had that I would have probably liked to see more of for sure but that's Jack around a joke can't really show any clips so we're just not going to break these up we're going to do the shorts block what is this one called? The Painting of Whore. This is a Wave production, and it was released, I believe, on a tape along with the other movie I'm going to talk about. But The Painting of Whore, is, it's got to be the worst thing I saw for 1994. It, you know, the Wave movies sometimes are fun, sometimes have a certain touch to them. They are, you know, a lot of fetish stuff involved with it, kind of, you know, the story of uh, the uh, mail-order murder. If you've ever seen that documentary, it kind of talks about Wave production. So essentially what we have here is basically a 15-minute short. Um, about nine minutes of it is basically a, a kind of fake-looking strip joint with uh, a girl in jean shorts you know kind of style jean shorts dancing in front of somebody no nudity and then the other five minutes is about kind of a weird haunting painting sucking a girl into the wall it is what it is it's not particularly good person getting sucked through the paint in the wall would make a nice 30 40 second clip or something like that but that's all i can say about it um the next one is the kind of meat you can't buy in a store and this is a little longer about 20 minutes or so and this actually star stars gary whitson who runs wave productions and uh, essentially what we have here is a mud wrestling fetish movie kind of like with some cannibalistic kind of uh Basically, basically they don't show it, but it's supposed to be a cannibal movie. And in the very beginning of the movie, he calls this kind of prostitute. And he's like, what do you feel about getting in this mud bath? And he has this big mud bath in, his, in the garage or something. And he wrestles her in mud for like five, six minutes without cutting. Essentially that. Um, and then he mentions something about cannibalism. Another woman shows up that's interested in having him pick somebody up for her to eat. They, or they wrestle in mud a little bit. And then there's kind of a twist. Somebody gets arrested, yada, yada, yada. One of the fakest looking fight scenes I've ever seen, which is kind of hilarious to be honest. But uh, yeah, the kind of meat you can't buy in a store. Um, not really a movie, along with The Painting of Horror. These are barely watchable, but they are definitely going to be for somebody who's curious into seeing them, to be honest. Uh, <laughs> I mean, I don't know really what to say. I mean, like, it's kind of funny, like, when you read, like, ironic, I feel like they're ironic reviews on Letterboxd, because some of the lay stuff, you know, like, I don't hate Sorority House Massacre, you know, it's, like, too, too long, obviously, fetish stuff, but there's, like, a movie in there, right, and it has, like, Tina Krause and some cool stuff and some nudity, whatever, right? Like, I kind of see it whatever let's watch it um but like we get to like these two movies and like there's people like i, I feel like they're ironically giving it four stars like and it's like the best movie it's like like have we like gotten crazy i'm sorry like have we lost our collective minds and the answer is yes i already know it but anyways i don't want to shit on what somebody likes but uh you know Will the irony ever end? Okay, so that's the three shorts. Like I said, very short. Uh, this I'm filming this Thursday, which is very early for me. Tomorrow we're going to film uh, the... Uh, 1994 top 10 and then after that's released I'll maybe do an extended list if we're not going to do it on the 22 Shots channel or whatnot. so anyways uh, yeah that is the end of 1994 you'll probably only see that video the intro one more time we're going to draw an 80s year so hopefully we get 1980, 81, 87, 88 I'm looking forward to those they already did 85 and 86 so uh, I know 83 and 84 and 89 are in there would like not to get 83 or 84 to be honest just because i know there's some good movies from those years but um i prefer 80 81 87 88 
right? Maybe even 89 over it, just because the, the amount of craziness in those years. Anyways, uh, yeah, that is the end of 1994 reviews. I don't think I'll be watching anything else. Might might do some rewatches. I don't know. I don't know yet. No promises. Okay, now the Patreon pick is an insane one. It's from 1974. It's directed by John Borman, the director of Exorcist II, Deliverance, and Excalibur. And it is Zardos. Now, Zardos is a crazy sci-fi movie that I heard about for years. Um, obviously, I'd seen the the floating kind of rock head thing and, and uh, Sean Connery in this weird kind of onesie outfit with like a gun and this ponytail. And it's just I was always like, what in the world is that? And like this fits in line with those weird, bizarre sci-fi movies, like even more bizarre than like zero uh, population growth and, and kind of like like stuff like that. So this is 74 and it, it opens up with like this floating head like in this weird world landing down and like spitting guns out of its mouth and it's like this god for these guys and these guys go around and they're all dressed the same and they wear these zardos masks and basically imitating their god and they go around and kill all these people and they're doing it for zardos uh, anyways what happens is sean connery ends up uh climbing in the the stone head and he gets lifted to some other place where all these people are highly intelligent they have special powers and they're studying him like he's some sort of creature and and you kind of learn all these things about Zardos and and as the movie goes on and on there's actually like reveals who Zed which is Sean Connery's character is and what he's learned and all this kind of shit and I absolutely love where the title Zardos comes from I love like the weird kind of studying of him the weird trippiness of him the uh, performance of Sean Connery because I love it I love Sean Connery and like and he's just like one of those it's supposed to be like the super manly guy and he's like going around this whole area and learning these weird shit in this crazy world world and like it ends up becoming this mind-bending journey that i can't explain if i were to tell you play by play exactly what happens in this movie i would still be so i would confuse you all like i i cannot words cannot explain zardos only zardos can explain zardos but uh yeah i like the reveals are perfect the uh what the hell's going on is perfect it's really sexual too there's like lots of naked people and kind of some rape scenes and stuff and and lots of violence lots of people getting shot much more violent than expected the floating head is fucking awesome it's surreal and and uh where the title came from it kind of is in line with that movie itself or i kind of spoil that source material itself but uh anyways i love zardos i don't know how much more to go about it but uh just the idea that john borman directed this too is a head scratcher like coming from the guy who did deliverance we get zardos which shows you how wild and different a lot of these filmmakers could be or or what they wanted to do actually is make stuff like fucking zardos but uh yeah it's awesome I think it would make a good kind of piece with like THX uh, or like zero population growth or there's lots of or El Topo, man. It's so weird. It is a bizarre movie. Uh, really recommend checking it out. There is a Blu-ray. Both of them, I think, are out of print. Unfortunately, you can rent it. But uh, that is Zardos starring Sean Connery. There's some other familiar faces in here. But like there's all these weird characters. Like there's this group of people that have become the apathetic where they don't care what anything happens to them. And, uh, like, uh, there's, I, like, I don't want to spoil anything. And, like, the, the way this society is is just insane. Like, old people are sent away and, like, you're punished. You're, they take years off your life. And when you get too old and, and twisted, they send you to this old folks' home when you just, like, walk amongst, amongst the other old people living in depravity. Just a crazy, weird, awesome movie, Zardos. This, uh, the Patreon pick who, patron who picked this was Keith Voigt Jr. Hey, guys, what's up? We're here for You Ain't Seen. And this is my pick for you, and I picked the 1983 classic? It's kind of like a new classic because it was a movie that uh, angst. 
um, a German or is it Austrian? It's one one of the other. I can't remember exactly. Um, and it's kind of like a new classic because the movie was really hard to see for the longest time, and then it eventually got a release from um, what was the company Cult Epics? But it was it was on the slate uh, for Barrel Entertainment, which was a DVD company that released uh, a lot of the York Buckaret movies. They released Darkness by Leif Yonker, um, and and they were going to release. Uh, they had their coming soon page, and it was like super. They had Dirt Toskin and Angst. And then Barrel went belly up, and it was like, after they released all these cool movies like Last House on Dead End Street and shit, and everybody's like, well, we want Dertoskin and Angst. We wanted them so bad. A lot of people imported stuff like Dertoskin from Japan and Germany. And Angst, I actually originally saw, I know this is complete bullshit why I'm even telling anybody this, I imported it from a, a different country, I think. And I think I had to add subtitles on a disc myself so I could watch Weird. it or something like that. It didn't have the intro. Remember the intro here? Yeah. So I added like a burner disc with the subtitles so I could watch it with the intro. Anyways, this movie uh, kind of gained some more notoriety or popularity or whatever you want to say. Uh, because Gaspar Noe, infamous director, Irreversible, I Stand Alone, Enter the Void, is a huge fan of this movie. And if anybody's ever seen it, you can be like, oh, it looks like Gaspar Noe based half his career off this in this movie. Um, so essentially this follows, um, I, I guess you'd call him, uh, would you call him a serial killer? I would. I probably would, but he's not a spree killer. He's just an all-around psychopath that doesn't belong in society. So in the opening of the film, there's two versions. Um... I don't even know how to go about this. He commits a murder. He's put away. And then we follow his exploits of being released and essentially a home invasion film in the most brutal, weird way. Yeah, I wouldn't. I don't know if I would say exploits as much as just exploit. Because it's, it's a one thing. Yeah, well, I mean, but he has a lot. Yeah, it's like a one night thing. Yeah. Um, it's a crazy uh, day of movie. <laughs> mm-hmm. The camera work is the star, I'd say. Well, the acting, the cinematography, all that stuff, the score, it, it's really wonderful. The score is really bizarre and mixed, is in with the cinematography in a really unique way. Um, this movie, to me, has the whole entire feel of a hangover. It's like you wake up and you feel like you are, you're skipping work or school or something and you shouldn't. And it just feels so bizarre and cold and... I don't. I don't really go about this. When you're young and you wake up and you don't know what the hell happened last night and you're confused, I feel like this guy's like that at all all the time. And there's, like I said, the opening kind of explains his mentality and the setup. But without it, which it's not in every version, I think it works better because you find out his backstory slowly throughout the movie with his narration and stuff. Because he doesn't talk except you hear his inner monologues and stuff like that. No, I, I did like the prologue that we watched. Yeah, um, it, with them yeah, sorting it was good it out. too. Yeah, I, I think it, it just might frame the character a bit more. And and yeah, if if nothing's changed, if that prologue is the only thing added, you do find out the whole backstory. But I, I, I think I like still. this. I think I do like the style of how it opens with like 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 the caseworker or criminologist like talking um, about who his character is, and and then you go into the movie. I, I think because you, you now you have these ideas in the back of your head versus. If you don't have that prologue, um, you kind of like trickled, like you trickled the information slowly through yeah. the movie. Well, it's just interesting too, but yeah. it's also interesting to hear the prologue and then hear him relive the entire thing as he talks about it. So right. basically, he invades, he sneaks into this house that's kind of, he seems isolated, seems possibly deserted, but sooner or later, he realizes that it's not. There's a, um, a mentally disabled, physically disabled uh, man there. And his sister and mother come home, and he basically attacks them. But the the one thing that I what I love about it is like 
um, he relives his experience. Like everything that he talks about in that, uh, in like in this scene, like he, everything reminds him of something that he did in the past. Like, in fact, he reminds me a lot of someone like Edmund Kemper, just in the fact that like he always committed crimes, got sent away, and then got sent back out. Like I don't know, like how to explain it in that way. He's not like Edmund Kemper because he's not smart and he's not. He's like a Richard Chase kind of too, right? More of a Richard Chase type. I'm actually ignorant on like serial, serial killers. killers. Well, and, he's not like I said. <laughs> Edmund Kemper's just his past about how he killed and then he got out and stuff. But like it, it reminds me of Richard Chase because he's mentally ill. This guy is not functioning, and I, and, and like they explain in the beginning, they get into a little bit of that when they say, "Now is sadism a mental illness?" We don't think it is. We think he's actually a criminal, and it's so like I don't know how to even talk about this movie except just tell you that the camera follows him around in such of the weird, wildest ways, and and sometimes I feel like it's not his point of view. It's like you're walking next to him a lot of the times, and sometimes mm-hmm. the camera will go up on a crane or a tracking shot, and it's just like a wonderfully beautiful area. The house that he's in, like I say, the estate or something, is just a weird place. It's it's beautiful and also decrepit, kind of like the Crimson Peak house, where like it feels like it's not up to snuff where it should be, like old money like you said right right it's it's, it's the like, father died and they got broke it, it's like you know they're you know they're land rich but they're bankrupt like the house is like actually pretty empty like they're living liver like sleeping on the floor and stuff um things are in kind of like disrepair but you know this is germany well, like in what, austria or germany is yeah, and, and what year is it 1983 1983 <laughs> so it's like yeah you know you, you're still in like you know, Berlin Wall times, you know, um, I, I, I don't know. I, I don't think that like Germany really gets like economic, like prowess until like the nineties. So the thing about this movie is like, you're like, I don't know if whether like you could enjoy it because like, it doesn't seem like it's a good movie on paper, right? You're just following this serial killer getting his narration mm-hmm. and it, it's just very straightforward in a lot of ways, but somehow it keeps your attention and it's just like 80 minutes, but it, it never gets boring. And I don't understand. A lot of it is literally just, it keeps the tension of waiting for him to walk into somebody or something like that. But now, I, I disagree. I did find this movie incredibly boring. I, I think, I, I think that there were some amazing parts. Um, and and I like the scenery, I like the locations, but the movie is a very, like I I did find it a very boring movie. There's very little dialogue. I think all the so the the family of three victims they they don't have much lines or dialogue. You really just have this guy, and, and even he doesn't have. He has just near inner monologue. He has inner monologue, but he doesn't really have any dialogue, well, and a lot of it is. Because of the color palette being, you know, I love how it looks. I, I love and, how, and, and I, like I normally how it don't looks. like how movies like this look, right. but it somehow looks like it's drained of color in the most right. appropriate way. Like right. I said, it a looks, Hangover. Movie. Right, right, right. It it looks realistic, but it does put me in that headspace of gloomy, rainy, gloomy, dreary day. But and... it's it's perfect for this movie, though. Like it's... I, I'm not saying that it doesn't yeah. fit the movie, but what I'm saying is that there was some too much downtime for you. There, there was too much downtime, okay. and I think I was like. Can we wrap this up? And the fact that it all takes place in a single day, in one location, um, 
the 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 climax of the movie happens, and then there's just a very long lull until like a second climax. Well, I love the frantic nature of him. Like you see him making these yeah. fuck ups, and you can see it. Like he goes outside to chase somebody, but he fucking breaks a window. But then like later, he locks himself out of the house, and he was trying to be quiet at first. But by the end of it, he's just literally he locked himself out of the own house, so he breaks the glass mm-hmm. just to get back in. And like it's these stories you hear of these crimes, and you're like, well, why did you do that? Well, at that point, I locked myself out, and I just broke the glass because i was tired of fucking being see yeah like, you fucking idiot like you just right, think of how right. stupid this guy is in a lot of ways and he's like going back and forth they show you everything like when he's walking the bodies and towards the end of the movie you get into psychology a little bit and he like the part that there's gonna be a spoiler here he actually ejaculates in his pants at the idea of being able to keep the bodies and take them with him and like i thought that those touches were really crazy like mm-hmm. the nice like disturbing touches like that um the actual final murder in this movie is really kind of intense really intense like if the whole movie would have been that this would have been thrown into like the extreme category and it still might in a lot of ways like i don't know this appeals to art film fans mm-hmm. and extreme film fans i would say it's well, right on the, it's it's one it's a, it's similar to York Buckerat, but just yeah. more professionally, not more professionally, because his movies are very more budget. Had a budget, I think, more so. You, you know, like you're talking about, like the death of the, the daughter. Of the daughter. Okay, yeah. Um, because that was really graphic, and I think it that was very intense. And, and the only graphic scene like it in the movie. There is right. graphic stuff in the movie, but since that scene's so much more graphic than the rest of the movie, it really right. stands out as really bothersome. Because the, the, the only two other murders <laughs> you see are the mom who really just kind of like dies of like a heart attack or like not getting her medication. He, he doesn't really kill her per se. It's a very... He kills her. He kills her, but it's not like it's not like how it's not the daughter. And then he had the the son who's an invalid and he, he just kind of like goes in a bathtub and you know there isn't a struggle or a fight or like a you know is he going to survive kind of thing yeah. so, so so you have two meh murders and then you have like 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 yeah i'm, I'm just saying meh murder you know but but then, <laughs> then you have like like a rather intense scene so it's like and, and then there was a two out of ten wouldn't fuck it right, right. <laughs> you know and you know so the movie does have like like that slow start you know like where's it going where's it going where's it going oh it's a home invasion movie memory I, I like how good murder okay now let's when he gets to the the uh diner mm-hmm. i love that because he I has interactions like, and then the yeah. end when he's in the diner is brilliant too and i love how he's dressed at the end it just looks like he had the craziest night mm-hmm. ever um I laughed out loud hysterically when he takes all this. It literally is like a frantic 15 minutes of the movie, him getting ready to leave Mm -hmm. to just, I knew exactly. I hadn't seen this in years. I hadn't seen this since 15 years ago. I knew exactly where the car was going to go. I was like, oh, he's a fucking idiot. I knew it was going to happen. He's such a fuck up. And also, I don't know if this movie's making a comment about how essentially like they just don't really take care of these people and they release them into the time too. It was the early eighties and they Mm -hmm. had the whole, you know, what was that? The close the mental facilities, mental, illness facilities and just release a lot of these people on the street in, the, in America. In but, America, yeah. They didn't do that in Germany, but it's just like it's so weird, like the different, like this guy should have never been a, in, in human population, just from the start, you could tell, like he does not function, and I'm not even saying it's obviously clearly mental illness, but he also mm-hmm. is very much a sadist like he, right. it's the only thing he, he, he impulsively has to hurt people. You know, and then you know, I, I made the joke like, oh, that grandma, you know or, or, or the mom, you know, she's rich, she's old, like, oh, she's probably a Nazi, you know, good, good on him for killing her. Yeah, you, you know, you have no, no idea no, that nothing like that's ever said or like, mentioned in the, in the film, but... Um, it's, 
it's very well acted, and the score is kind of like almost the antithesis to the movie, but it's also it's almost like eighties like synth style. It's weird. It's a weird score. The only score I remember is at the very beginning. Yeah, I, I feel like the and score then I think is it a kind of out, out there, right? Yeah. Um, like I said, the the camera work is unmatched, and the acting by this lead guy is is, is terrifying in yeah. a lot of ways. Like, and he feels real to me. Like he feels legitimately real. Like I was like, oh, I feel like there's a lot of people like this. Um, the Blu-ray looked great too. The Blu-ray it, did look really good. You got to yeah. think this is 1983, and it's not really been seen. Cole Epics did an amazing job with mm-hmm. it, and they put a lot of features on there. I didn't I didn't get to dive into the features because I'm a piece of shit. But uh, I I'd really recommend it. Um. I mean, think of the other movies that came out in 83. Christine, Dead Zone, Videodrome. You like this better in Videodrome? Which one's Videodrome? Is James the... Woods. The weird... I do not like this better than Videodrome. Um, do you like it better than Dead Zone? I don't like Dead Zone. So, do I like this better than Dead Zone? Yeah, I think I do. And you've never seen Christine. I... He won't watch Stephen King, guys. I, I I'm won't. Sorry. Guys, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Yeah. Even if it is John Carpenter. I, but I'm also not big on John Carpenter. The only one I like is um, is the Prince of Darkness. You know how many people just unsubscribe to this channel? Yeah, let them unsubscribe. You know, I, I, I yeah. Uh, <laughs> if they unsubscribe, they unsubscribe. You, you oh, know, I'm like, like, like I, I like that. I think that it was okay. Like, it, it's, you know, it's definitely a higher rated movie than what I would give it, but. It's objectively a well-made movie. It's not for everybody. Right. A lot of like, if you look at Letterbox, it's like five, five, four and a half, four, four, five, five, four and a half, and then there'll be like a two, a two. Somebody's like, "This is boring." It's like, hey, you need a little. If you're gonna shit on a movie that ninety percent of people like, this is boring. Is not. It's like, come on. But but I, I need do, a little bit more. I, I do think that that it, it's important to recognize that like like where I work and and the fact that I do talk to like unstable <laughs> and crazy people for eight, twelve, sixteen hours out of the day. That for me to go home and then watch a movie where I then have to subject myself to this again. But I'm, I'm like, this. I, I like watching these because yeah. I was almost one of these people. Yeah, but 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 <laughs> the the like like I'm like I don't want to watch this because crazy people annoy the fuck out of me. I get it. I, get I said. It. I and I'm going to get canceled. But it's cares? true. Yeah. Well, I mean. <laughs> You're not paid to be a psychiatrist, right? Exactly. I'm not. That's the problem. <laughs> I, I know it sounds terrible, but a lot of people on the internet think everybody's their psychiatrist. It's like right. usually you pay people to to do this because it's a heavy job. It's a hard job to do. Right. Right. No, no. So, so, so when I'm watching these movies and, and like if, if if the function of the movie is like, it's like look how crazy this guy is, I'm like, man, I cool but like when i talk to Chris, i don't know it's not just that it's also the, the cinematography it's, yeah, but... it's scary it's a horror film you're scared of what he's doing how it unfolds and you see like his mentality and stuff but the like only that. things i'm afraid of are, are aliens in deep water and neither... well, look at the house is deep water and look at him <laughs> as an alien <laughs> aliens from the deep Did that movie scare you well I, I got that dvd where <laughs> right? i think that's a brain syndrome or whatever um, they're called no, it's it's uh it's it's a it's a one seven or Mia Communications, I think okay. Aliens from the Deep. Um it's Italian if I'm not mistaken, that's oh the boy. name of it. Anyways, nine and a half, nine, nine and a half, somewhere like that's very high on it. I think it's it's very good. It's not for everybody though. Like somebody could dislike this movie and I completely get it. But So when I say two and a half, you're not gonna lecture me. Out of five? Yeah. Fuck off. Like I said, it's probably technically rated more than that, but I'm like I I, I never <sighs> needed to watch this. I never wanna watch it again. I, I got it. So you think the only serial killer movie you ever need is Henry? I think so. Honestly, I think that Henry 
is possibly the best serial killer movie. Have you ever, ever seen made. Citizen X? I think you you Citizen X that, is a, a really good movie. I don't it's know about Andre Chikatilo and um, Donald Sutherland and Stephen Ray are in it. And they're trying to find him. It, it goes back and like Russian communism is basically denying that they have a serial killer. It's, it's a really good movie. I, I think that they're. I think Henry though does have a certain charm to it. And well, I say, Henry I say is like a pseudo even. documentary. It's the complete opposite of the filmmaking techniques in Hanks. Right. Which they make really good like movies back to back to see the difference. And mm-hmm. Henry's very, very dry dialogue driven. There's a lot of dialogue. Is the same year or no? No. When Henry's eighty six. Okay. Not released till ninety, so yeah, they're not too far off to be honest, and no. and they're completely different styles, completely different everything to be honest. But I think that they're two kind of gems or two kind of like good um, pieces to put forth as far as a serial killer genre. You know, I, I, at the risk of spoiling Henry or if anybody's never seen it, but um, there is a home invasion scene in Henry, and it's three minutes long, and. <laughs> I, I think that is more well, impactful than the entirety well, of this Henry movie. is brilliant in its home invasion scene because it makes you complicit and everybody knows that. Right. Because it pulls out and they're watching right. it and then you're watching it and then you realize you're watching them and you're like, oh, I'm getting enjoyment out of this nasty movie and they were inside watching it. It's just genius. Right. It's a genius level movie. It's, it is a fantastic yeah, I mean, movie. Anyways, I like this. You don't. What's next week? <laughs> yes. Uh, what is next week? Um, are we watching that second part of that thing? I guess we could ever do the second part of the anime, but there was another movie I said. Comedy I... of Ray of Terrors. Yeah, which one do you want to do? Do you want to do Comedy of Terrors? We could do Comedy of Terrors. It's I, the... I'd rather do Comedy of it's Terrors. It's the Vinny Price, um, Boris Karloff, and Peter Lorre. The love it, of my And life. Basil Rathbone. Yes. Uh, AIP, I believe. Not directed by Corman, though. I don't think No, so. but it looks like a Corman. And I feel it's, like... yeah, yeah, it's in that vein. And I do want to watch more Corman movies, because like, the, the few stuff I have seen, I, I'm just We should like, watch A Little Shop of Horrors, and we should watch... Um, you've never seen Haunted Palace. No. I'm saving Little Shop of Horrors. I do want to pick that one at You should have point. seen Bucket of Blood. Bucket of Blood's really fun. I haven't seen Bucket of Blood. Dick Miller's in it. But hey. I, I want to put Little Shop of Horrors later, just because we did watch yeah, the, yeah. the other one, like... And plus, ago. you hate Jack Nicholson. He doesn't hate I don't, Jack Nicholson. I don't hate Jack Nicholson. I, you know, Jack Nicholson's. Oh, that's fine. Bill Murray you hate. I don't hate Bill Murray. Oh, I just don't that's get That's Robert De Niro you hate. Yeah. <laughs> all right, let's get into these questions, comments, concerns, all that good stuff. Um, basically, last week I asked you the most violent movie you've ever seen. And I know I missed some of these because I'm doing it early, so I probably missed some of the answers. I'm sorry about that. Milo169, just watched The Sadness a few days ago, really enjoyed it, but I think I wrapped up a little too much hype. I was wrapped up in a little too much hype. However, some of those scenes are just stuck in my mind, so I think I will like it even better on second watch. I picked up the same edition as you. Unfortunately, my 4K has some problems as well. It stops playing at the last five minutes of the movie. Yeah, I had like some weird issues with it, but so I, I got another one coming. Hopefully that one doesn't have issues as well. Um... But I, I feel what you mean on it, because like I liked it the first time. I was like, I loved it. But then when I started watching it again, like the moments that just stuck in my head, like the wink on the television without spoiling too much and that kind of stuff. But he says, for the question, when I think violent movies, Rambo 2008 always comes to mind. It has to be one of the most violent action movies ever. MyTube, congrats on five years in a row. Thank you. Uh, VHS 82, very glad to hear the sadness delivered for you. I think I let the hype get to me a bit. Should have lowered things a few notches like you did, LOL. But listening to you and thinking back, having watched it, just one more time, I was thinking I really need to get second helping of it. I really think with time, this is going to be one of my easy go-to flicks. It is pretty impressive that this was the first film out of the gate. I think he's going to have a heck of a career. Thanks for reviewing it. Yeah, I hope he doesn't get like canceled, kind of like the Serbian film director, right? Um, 
basically, um, I don't, cancel's really not the word. They just didn't, it kind of is in a way. Blackballed, I guess I'll say. Somebody asked that earlier. Um, but anyways, uh, yeah, it's a movie that I want to show my friends. Like, I want to show people like, yeah, you sit down and watch the sadness with me and just watch them be like, um, Thanos 43 Infinity. Dave, Jamie Gillis from the Walking Toilet Bowl series was the guy in 4th Century. Gillis was the desaad of the sleaze industry, LOL. Ah, there we go. Movie John. Are the Indicator Blu-rays region free? Now, a lot of them are, um, but they won't say. Re- they'll say region B on here, but it all depends on which release. Like, we have track 29 is region B, but then we have this uh, Lilith, which is A B region ABC. Really, what you're going to have to do is check for yourself. Uh, the Damned is uh, region free. Um... Um, Taste of Fear is region free. You'll have to check uh, Blu-ray.com is your friend. Check there first. They usually let you guys let you know. So Blu-ray.com is is any cinephile's best friend. Um, so because it, it varies movie to movie. Um, RB, I think Natural Born Killers has to be up there for the most violent movie ever, just for the body count alone. I know there's a, uh, been movies more gory, but Natural Born Killers is ultra-violent. Woody Harrelson is batshit and pretty much remorseless. Mike Lyons, yeah, because de- violence and gore are not the same thing, right? Like, a movie can have a super violent tone and not have any gore in it. That makes any sense to anybody. Mike Lyons, Death Wish 2 is great. Robert Forrester is always a treat. 81 Oakridge. Yeah, I remember messaging you a while back on how shocking the uncut rape scene is. And he's talking about Death Wish 2. It's pretty disturbing and graphic. I got it up there with the rape scenes in Irreversible and Original Ice Speed on Your Grave. Slightly below those two. Stomper is my favorite of the gang. He looks uh, looks the part for sure. Yeah, he has like his weird eyebrows. Like that scene in ra- rape scene in Death Wish 2 is rough stuff, to be honest. Like Harry Collins, uh, basically he says too many to list. Jason Lindbergh, really? Like total amount of time that he basically, they go on and on. <laughs> Lindbergh, uh, good, because I'm interested. He basically wants to see Harry Collins' list. I asked him to do one. He says, far mentioned or not even close to me. I feel like, uh, let's go. I don't want to read people's responses like I'm doing. Adam Weber, such a tough question. So many ways to look at violence. On-screen violence would be something for a necrostorm like Adam Chaplin or Hotel Inferno. James D. Cox, maybe not the most violent, but the violence in Irreversible is shocking and brutal. Edward Payson, grotesque, a Serbian film. John Soloway, uh, grotesque was insane. Grotesque is wild. That's the same director of No Roy, surprisingly. Danny Torkel, violent horror, probably French extremity stuff like Martyrs Inside Frontiers. Christopher Webb, uh, would uh, rate me fall under that subcategory? I've got it, but not watched it due to the other commitments. Is it worth bumping up the list? Um, and Danny Torkel responds, I never saw it, but basically French movies from 2000, 2000 were a different level. Irreversible as well. Um, honestly, rape me or voice my or how do you ever say it is really disturbing like and now the gore or something if you're looking for that kind of level of of stuff it's not it's not like a gory film but it's a very violent movie it's a very violent film and disturbing and i have not seen it in years but it's a good film if if i remember correctly so then we have christopher webb i couldn't possibly list them all but one that stands out uh in the horror genre is 2016's terrifier even if i sat there like, uh, what's this clown's problem? L. Henry Portrait of the Serial Killer is another one that stuck me as a particular mean-spirited and much more realistic, which makes it even more uncomfortable. Honestly, uh, though, those two are just the ones that stand out. There's so many I could list. <laughs> Sorry. David Luton. Maybe not the most violent films ever made, but the violence in Irreversible and Martyr shocked me and stayed with me for a very long time. David Luton. James D. Cox. Twinsies. Uh, Nick Porter. Uh, is Martyrs on Shutter or anything? I like to see it since I just heard about it a few days ago. It was on Shutter. Um, I don't know if it's still there. <laughs> Sorry about that. Uh, 
maybe it wasn't on it was on one of the streaming services nathan thompson hobo with the shotgun paul hibbert inside chet turner french films like irreversible nick Moore, the most violent film i've ever watched looking for some quality entertainment for your little nephew's birthday party uh seriously though it's a difficult question irreversible is tough uh was a t- uh, tough watch hostile and texas chase massacre 2003 were pretty violent a clockwork orange comes to mind too lastly the passion of the christ clockwork orange is a good answer very violent movie questions if you had kids at what age would you let them watch horror depends the horror movie depends how the kid acts um and stuff like that um <laughs> you know if he's scared really easily or he he, he seems to be like very easily kind of um influenced by things i might change my mind it depends it all depends on the kid depends on the movie uh, but I definitely would get them in the early horror stuff, like, you know, cartoons and stuff, as soon as I could. Are you excited for the David Cronenberg's le- latest film, Crimes of the Future? Yes, and that's kind of like a semi-remake of an early short he did, from my understanding. Same title. I've seen the early short, and it's wild. Um, did you have a favorite type of candy as a kid that you find icky now? Um, I like to eat Skittles when I was a kid, and, or, and now I do not want Skittles. Don't like Skittles. Will not eat Skittles. Like, I, I eat them, I guess, but I would never buy them. They're just gross to me like i don't hate any candy on principle like i'll eat any candy but i'll never buy a pack of skittles it doesn't taste very good to me anymore uh p.s enjoying chasing the cats in your back uh yard now that the sun's out and keep those darn kids off your lawn uh i don't care who's on my lawn i'm not one of these crazy people that cares about his lawn and i don't let the cats outside i live on a busy street um i don't i can't really let my pets outside Ryan Vincent Logston, Snuff 102, Cannibal Holocaust, I Spin on Your Grave. Jamal Potter, out of the God uh, out of the God knows how many martyrs is the first time that comes to mind for some reason. Um I don't know. The Eric Waters, Rambo is up there. Uh Pichnutzi Naguz, most violent for me is Adam Chaplin, or The Night Comes for Us, one of my faves. The Night Comes for Us is the answer. <laughs> Honestly. That is one of the most violent movies I've seen. Nonstop violence on Netflix. Great film. Troy Howarth, Inside. Kelly Smith, Death Proof, Adrian Roberts. To this day, I will never get what people find so traumatizing over the top, um, traumatizing slash over the top violent about martyrs. And I think you're wrong there, Roberts. Um, and Michelle Kaiser replies, you honestly don't think that spending 45 minutes of the film brutally and graphically beating a woman into submission and flaying her alive isn't that violent? Question mark. No, literally, the thing about martyrs is like, there's not just like, they show the repercussions of violence on people too. Wherein, like the girl comes out from the cellar and she's shaking like violently, and you see she's been messed up and she she tries to like hurt herself. It's just uh, messed up. And that scene genuinely bothered me to no end when I first saw it. The the opening scene where the family's killed, you're wondering why this violence is happening, and then you see the the girl come from the cellar and that reveal, and then we have the torture. No, Martyr's pretty violent. Different levels of violence and different reactions to said violence. Uh, Brian Ziegler, but hey, it's to each their own. Don Murray, Django Unchained. Brian Ziegler, Headless, Found, Gutter Balls. How could I forget the August Underground series? They are tough to get through, though. Love them. Aaron T. Whitlow, Green Inferno, but it was one of the dumbest movies ever watched. Uh, I would put Cannibal Holocaust in there too, right? Aaron Mazzola, maybe Philosophy of Knife. Hard to say for sure, though. It's not very realistic looking, but it's pretty full of violence. Oops, didn't mean to post it as... Oh, he's basically fine. Um, Jason uh, Lindbergh, adding it to my must-see list because I'm very interested about this topic. As I said, most of these just have some brutal scenes, which does not equal much by... Uh, equal most by my definition. Um, Lindbergh, they go on about it, and then they start talking about... Um, Men Behind the Sun, all this kind of stuff. Philosophy of Knife, you guys know that. Um, he basically says, if you want gallons of blood, I think Piranha 3D would win because remember reading how many gallons of blood was used to color. I don't think gore 
or blood equal violence necessarily, like I said. Um, John Devlin, first one that came to mind, The Night Comes for Us, good choice. Michelle Kaiser, Martyrs, The Divide, which is an incredibly violent movie, uh, people being very violent to each other in a kind of an isolated situation, Irreversible, Sallow, um, the, a- Angel's Melancholy, a Serbian film, Men Behind the Sun. Those are good answers. James Harmon, Irreversible. Um, Christopher Webb, uh, basically they're replying to me. Steven Fernandi, Fer- Fernandino, who does YouTube as well. Uh, watched The Sadness last night, by far one of the most violent, gory, and mean-spirited films I've seen in a long time. Tracy McFace, wow, I had not heard of this one, but it sounds hella brutal. Aaron Mazzola, maybe Philosophy of Knife, hard to say for sure, though. It's not very realistic looking, but it's pretty pretty full of violence, see most of that. First time I posted this, it was accidentally replying to someone else's comment, so he replied again. Christopher Webb, Aaron Mazzola, I remember that name, and I know I've seen it before, but I can't recall. I have to mooch around for it. And they basically talk about it being a four-and-a-half-hour version of Men Behind the Sun. They talk about Men Behind the Sun, so get the replies tom brooker the night comes for us is insanely violent uh gene uh gene septic uh ellen's uh angels melancholy fetus by brian pollen um this one i know pistache by marion dora i know dory i don't know that american guinea pig bouquet of guts and gore aaron fram itchy and scratchy they fight and fight and fight and bark <laughs> uh, christopher bickle if you're talking just violence the raid and its sequel uh, Cody uh, CK Kits Ichi the Killer any Mike really uh, Matthew Hudson boy I want to answer this one but the problem is I'm not sure I've seen movies more violent than what I remember but the first time I remember thinking violence was turned up to 11 with Starship Troopers lots of people and bugs getting fucked tore up in that thing the second time was Saving Private Ryan the first battle scene actually made me think of Starship Troopers just not so much uh, many giant bugs yeah I mean the opening of Saving Private Ryan is insane uh, Keith Larson Traces of Death uh, Eric Marzen, Argus Underground Trilogy, Jeremy Summerall, Passion of Christ, Bella Adana, French Horse, Especially Brutal, I enjoy, in, enjoyed Inside, Raw, Frontiers, Especially Frontiers, now as for most disgusting film, that goes to Serbian film. Priscilla Mann, uh, that was the point of the Serbian film, that you fucked A-OK. Uh, Tony Phillips Junkin, to me, took me weeks to get over Irreversible. Yeah, Irreversible is as that really violent scene couple Renee Royer Robocop is pretty brutal for its time and you know that's legitimately true Paul Verhoeven is incredibly violent in his or his American output from what I you know Tracy McFay's Renee Royer I remember somehow catching Robocop as Saturday afternoon movie on cable station when I was probably about nine or so and being traumatized when they couldn't turn off the shooting robot are they being kidding I suggest you do what he says Mr. Kenny uh Rolick Dolphing uh Visceral um, that's the ropes, the madness, hard boiled and the raid, Jenny Murray. There's a lot of different types of violence, obviously, but I'm going to go going to put, maybe put Adam Chapman up there because it's pretty much nonstop fucking carnage. Good choice. Sean Donahue, slimy little bastards, nothing more violent than slimy little bastards. Jason Lindbergh, uh, dead alive. No movie I've seen as much gore in the runtime. Jason Lindbergh reading all these posts is interesting to me. A lot have very violent moments, but are nowhere near uh, most violent. Martyrs Irreversible, August Underground, I guess it's person-to-person thing, though. Yeah, and also gore, to me, doesn't equal violence. Like, the fun, like, gore and stuff, like, Dead Alive. It is violent in a way, but it's a different, it's this gory, you know? Like, it's never, like, that that tone of it. You never see a character who's just filled with violence, like a Chopper or something from, from Chopper or Bronson from Bronson's. Like, violent, violent. Those are violent things i don't know you know it's different tones uh like terminator or hitcher violent you know priscilla man jason limberg martyrs for sure brandon terry visceral between the ropes of madness is pretty heavy that's a, it's a pretty violent movie priscilla man martyrs lex crossley probably either the raid headshot the killer or hard boil for most violent not including most gory or wildest rides of course septum sin a hostile 
Lucky Odevis Lloyd, not the most violent, but Rampage deserves a nod for pure violence. Not much, uh, if any, gore, though. Yeah, I would say very violent movie. Uh, Kevin Heffernan, Herman Yao is the untold story from Hong Kong. Good choice. Ben Robertson, Martyrs is pretty high up there, but I watched Lucio Fulci's New York Ripper recently. It might be the most squirm-inducing. Dead Alive and Riccio deserve special mention for comical gore and violence. Jerry Ventilla, August Underground Mortem, uh, Yarno Harkinen uh, agrees. Uh, Daniel Carson, Martyrs, Cannibal Holocaust, Expedited Grave, Corey Kane, Irreversible. Dan Detia, Mortem, Dead Alive, Karate Kill. I haven't gotten my copy of the Sadness German Media book. He said, um, Ray Roundtown, um, Rose Downer, Story of Riccio, Chris Mayo, The Martyrs, Mike Papa, Sadness. I'm telling you, Sadness, guys. He also puts Artros and Trauma. Now, Trauma is definitely one of those movies. Eric Eichelberger, Seven Beauties by uh, Lena Wertmiller, Nathan Padfield, Cannibal Holocaust, Troy Steven Sanders, Life. Jeff Kitchen, Bambi, Shane Glass, Dead Alive by Peter Jackson, Michael Fisher, uh, maybe Adam Chaplin, Stephen McNulty, a few off the top of my head, High Tension Inside, Dream Home, John Ward, The Passion of the Christ, Josh Hayes, Probably the Sadness, Victor Gaspar, Toxic Avenger, Wayne Gilbert, Dawn of the Dead, Vincent Panera, High Spin in Your Grave, Original, Never Saw the Remake, Chris Mayo, Blight of Humanity is the most brutal extreme film ever made, but not necessarily the most violent, and Chris Leppard, I have to go with Harry, There's too, there's too many to choose from. Um, and I know other people probably commented and I missed them and I apologize for that. Sometimes I got to review, cover these early. So the question of the week is going to be the most rail off the rails performance you've ever seen in a movie, the most off the rails performance in any movie you've seen. Is it Nicolas Cage? It's probably Nicolas Cage, right? Let's just hear those most off the rails performances you've seen in any movies. It's going to be a lot of Dennis Hopper, Nicolas Cage answers, I bet. But uh, anyways, let's hop into that update. All right, let's get into this update. Uh, my error order came in. A couple were back ordered. Um, they'll come in when they come in. But uh, first up is Tom at the Farm. I've never seen this one. Uh, looked interesting enough. There are good prices on this. And uh, Arrow has a lot of these network and like um, screenbound movies on their sale now, which I love because if I order from Amazon, the the shipping costs are, are so uh, huge now. But yeah, this one seemed interesting enough, so I grabbed it. Uh, this is a cool movie. The harder they come, which uh, Screen Factory put out here, but it's very expensive. Here was like eight bucks. So now I have it on Blu-ray. Cool movie. I can't remember where it's actually filmed. Um, geez, it's like a, a rise to power kind of music guy, criminal. It's a, it's a good movie. Pretty cool stuff. Covered that on the show before. And then we have uh, Attack of the Adult Babies. This from Nucleus. Looks super weird. Hear mixed things about it. I have no idea what the hell. It, I, I, I've heard about it and looked into it, but I, I never did see it. Look looks freaking bonkers. And that sounds like it's up my alley. We have Ghost Story. Um, yeah, Barbara Shelley's in here. That's the name. Um, but, uh, what year was this? A little known gem of Ger British spookiness. Yeah. I like that's Kim Newman on here. Is it 1971? Yeah. I, I don't remember 1974. This one I never heard of until they released the, the Blu-ray and I was just like, Oh wow. I bet I better pick that up. Good price on it too. Then we have um, Night of the Big Heat with Peter Cushing and Christopher Lee. And if either of these guys are in it, I'm getting it. But they're both in it, so that's doubly. Um, this one was a sci-fi flick, if I'm not mistaken. I, I played with buying this one numerous times, putting it in my cart, and then like being like, no, I don't want it, and just taking it out. You know how it goes, guys. And then we have the sequel to Meatball Machine. Meatball Machine uh, Kaduku, which I, I like the first Meatball Machine. It's pretty crazy, pretty wild stuff. So I ended up picking up the sequel. Good price on this. Uh, looks gory and fun, like it should. 
And then last is going to be Cradle of Fear, starring Danny Phil from Cradle of Filth. And I had the old DVD on this one. I have not seen it in years, had the image DVD, but now I have it on Blu-ray. Uh, yeah, I know it's really gory and wild and weird anthology. I remember liking it then, but this is over 15. It's like 15 years ago. That doesn't mean anything now. So anyways, that's Cradle of Fear. Very short update. Um, let's hop back to the video, guys. All right, guys. Thank you very much for watching. And as always, have a good one. Mm.